We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. They haven't won a World Series in a century or so. So what? They're here. Every April, they're here. The 105 or 705, there is a game. If it gets rained out, guess what? They make it up to you. Does anyone else in your life do that? It's time for Hit and Run. Don't try to strike everybody out. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascists. Throw some ground balls. It's more democratic. Cubs and White Sox conversation every Sunday morning till Cubs first pitch. Any bet against my Sox this series is a sucker bet. Of course, I'm not a gambling man. Hosted by Matt Spiegel. I want the absolute truth here. Are you 100%? Yeah, what I about something like that you better you want to make this team connecting with you the baseball fanatic there's no crying in baseball no crying hit and run on sports radio 670 the score 670 the score.com and the radio.com app good morning everybody it is sunday good morning baseball fans what's happening it is the middle of the summer, a gorgeous, hot summer day yesterday. Should be another gorgeous, hot summer day. You are not allowed to complain. If you hear anyone complaining, remind them where they live and how it feels come February 1st. So just enjoy it, people. And there's been very, very good baseball being played on the north side to go along with these last two days. Out west for the White Sox? Not so much. But it's Oakland. What did we expect? They're 3-12 and versus Oakland since 2017, including 1-7 out there in Oakland are the White Sox. And it's always a house of horrors for this franchise, right? It feels like it. I, I can't remember anything good happening to the White Sox in Oakland. I, I can't. Um, maybe during the, the course of the show, we'll figure it out. And I, I unfortunately do not suspect that uh, Renato Lopez will be able to make good things happen out there. But we'll see. First start of the second half for him coming up. That's at 3.07 Central Time. Here on the score, I am leading you up until Cubs pregame, which will take place at about 12.40. And then the Cubs start at 1.20. Jose Quintana goes for the sweep of the Pirates against Trevor Williams. And Quintana was terrific last time out against these Pittsburgh Pirates on the 4th of July, the day, uh, the day Joe Madden got launched. Remember, he went, uh, went seven innings on that day, threw a ton of breaking stuff. I believe it was another one of those games where he threw more breaking stuff than fastballs. Was that the game? I think it was 51 uh, 51 breaking pitches and 50 fastballs and 101. It was either that one or the start before. But you get my point. When the man throws a lot of curves, throws a lot of change-ups, then the fastball plays better, and he is better. So, look, that's what's coming up later in the day, but we've got yesterday to talk about, last night to talk about, and a couple of guests, three guests that I'm looking forward to talking to. Our man Chris Kamka, who usually joins us at 945 for Cam Connections, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. He's going to be a little bit later in the show at 11.45. Looking forward to that. Here's why. Because in about 10, 15 minutes or so, maybe 15 minutes, uh, John Baker will join us. Former Cubs 
catcher, and pitcher. John Baker will join us. He is now a mental skills coordinator on a very deep mental skills um, uh, roster for the Cubs. I want to ask him about that. It's my perception, and maybe it's more guess. Maybe I'm wrong. i got to figure it out. It's my perception that the Cubs are deeper at mental skills than many, many ball clubs around baseball, that they've been kind of aggressively towards the forefront of this and now have a lot of people on staff, including Bob Tewksbury, the former pitcher, the author, and, uh, and John Baker. Darnell McDonald is part of the mental skills program as well, uh, headed by Joshua Lifrak, who I've never met or spoken to, but I have spoken to uh, the other guys just mentioned. And, um, and looking forward to talking to John because it's a very interesting part of the game. And if you've ever listened to me, you know that I'm fascinated by the mental part of the game. Um, and what it takes to be good at a game where the greatest players in the world succeed four out of every ten times. Where the best teams in baseball, like Jed Hoyer mentioned earlier in the week on the score, the best teams in baseball win six out of every ten times. And the worst teams often win four out of every ten times. Boy, there's small margins in there. Boy, it's uh, it's a difficult thing to try and wrap your head around, and people play forever and still struggle with it. So we'll talk to John Baker about that, and also about John Baker Day, which has become a thing, a very, very fun thing, and has a charitable component this year to it. So looking forward to that. That's about 9.20. And at 10 o'clock, Joe Buck will join us. Fox, play-by-play man, of course for football, but also for uh, baseball. I believe it is now... 21 World Series that Joe Buck has called for Fox. 21, I believe. I'll look it up for sure. But um, we'll talk a little bit about the All-Star Game and all the mic'd up stuff. You know I dug a lot of that stuff. wonder what it was like to be in the ears of, uh, of all those guys. Freddie Freeman while he's at the plate and everybody else while they're in the field. We'll talk a little bit about London baseball, which uh, he and John Smoltz were a part of, and the Cubs and Cardinals are a part of next year. So we'll talk about the Juicy Ball, Atlantic League rule experiments, and such. So that is John Baker coming up in about 10 minutes, and Joe Buck at 10 o'clock, and then Chris Kampka at 11.45. That does not leave a lot of room right now, but it does leave room right now for you at 312-644-6767 to Kyle up and dial it in and talk about the Cubs, the White Sox, But really, let's talk about the Cubs in these first two wins of the second half. Because I'm more interested in Luis Roberts' numbers at Charlotte than I am at uh, most of the goings-on for the White Sox, um, except when Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease are pitching, and except when there's interesting things to report about Tim Anderson, Juan Moncada, Eloy Jimenez, Jose Abreu, Aaron Bummer, you know, um, the specific guys that matter. A.J. Reid is here. I find that interesting. Um, but we'll see. Nothing, no, nothing much of consequence yet from A.J. Reed, and nothing much of consequence from any White Sox player in Oakland as they have lost the first two games by a combined score of 18-3. to And Ricky Renteria was not pleased and was talking to them in the dugout last night. But the Cubs, the Cubs, folks, are on fire. They are uh, playing very, very well in these first two games in this small little sample size. Friday was uh, just a lot of beautiful fundamentals on display. Several different facets uh, looked really good. 
talked about that a bunch yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse. And then yesterday they come out and in that first inning put up seven on Jordan Lyles. It's one of those games that played to type. Uh, Jordan Lyles, going into the game, had uh, given up the last time out seven runs, ten hits, and three homers against the Cubs in the final start. Seven runs on July 4th against Jose Quintana and the Cubs. And then last night, or yesterday during the day, seven runs in the first. That ballooned his ERA at the time from 3.71 to 4.36. And now, now, it's even higher after giving up seven runs in two-thirds of an inning. Woof. And the Cubs walked. Schwarber walked twice in that inning. Bryant walked. You saw Bryant go first to third again, as he does for the 13th time. The most in the majors, that beautiful Chris Bryant base running. You saw Rizzo with a, uh, a timely, well-placed hit. You saw John Lester with a two-run single to the opposite field. Everybody's hitting to the opposite field. Lester, two, and the home run later from Lester to the opposite field. And we'll talk plenty about John Lester today. I want to talk about him. I want to talk about him because every year he seems to be written off, at least in part, or at, at least discussed as, well, he's on the downside. Here he is. We have finally gotten there. We've gotten to the problematic portion of John Lester's career. Remember after, I mean, really, last year, he started 32 games for the 11th straight season. At least 30 games. Through 181 innings, he was 18-6 with a 3-3-2 ERA. Right? Those are, those are fabulous numbers for a man his age, for just about anybody. Those are fabulous numbers. But it was his worst strikeout rate in seven years. It was his worst walk rate in eight years. His fielder independent pitching was the worst ever in his entire career becoming a big-time pitcher. So the actual, like the peripherals and everything else said, boy, it's going to go down. It's going to be bad. Lester's just, he's that guy. He is tough. He is smart. And he knows what the hell he's doing. He loves the cat and mouse game that he has to play these days. As the stuff has waned a little bit, he enjoys it. He takes to it. He takes advantage of the extra rest every time. He gets it. He seems to pitch better. He's been phenomenal at home. He's now 6-2 and two with an ERA in the low twos while at home this year. That's in 10 outings. He's, he's, he's not somebody to bet against. Really ever. Just a remarkable, remarkable career that he's in the middle of. And I want to talk about his Hall of Fame candidacy a little bit later. Because I think you, you look at the body of work as it's starting to come together here. And he's got a few more years to do it. But it's, uh, it's worth discussing. And that, to me, is the highlight. As good as the offense was yesterday, as beautiful as that double play was to end the game and the Cubs start 2-0 on the uh, second half, Lester, to me, I just I, I, I can't get over it. And I won't get over it. The Cubs are in first place, six games over 500, a game and a half over the Brewers, three over the Cardinals. Oh, it's lengthening on the bottom a little bit. Four and a half over the Pirates now, and five and a half over the Reds, as everybody in that division is no better than five and five in their last 10 games. But the Cubs have a chance, as the Brewers have had a chance, to run away with this thing a little bit. And neither has shown the ability to. The Cubs, after getting that performance from Darvish and then from Lester, 
all the offense and the fundamentals on two beautiful days at Wrigley have to be feeling pretty damn good about it. All right, we'll take a break a little bit early here because I know John Baker's ready to join us. Very much looking forward to that. He is live at the ballpark. Thank you to Dave Miska for showing up early over there in the radio booth where Zach and Pat and Ron usually hang out, and me every once in a while when I'm lucky. But we will take a break and come back, talk to John Baker, former catcher and mental skills coordinator for the Chicago Cubs. That's next, right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. John Baker, mental skills coordinator and former catcher for the Chicago Cubs. The one ground ball. And into center, Valbuena around third, he will score, and it's one-to-one. John Baker with his fifth RBI of the year. Winning pitcher of the John Baker game. Catcher John Baker on to pitch. Heart's got to be pumping pretty hard for John Baker right now. Just do something completely different. You see what he just did? He's pitching. On a hop, they are going to turn it. John Baker with a scoreless top of the 16. He's going to go in there and say, give me some freaking runs. Well, I think he's going to bat. Pitching my tail off. The 3-2 from Magic. He walks to lead off the inning. Uh, walk the pitcher leading off the inning. The pitch. That should win it. Line drive. Caught by Blackman. Throw to the plate. Cubs win. John Baker wins. It's John Baker and Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run. Oh, man. I forgot how much ridiculousness there was in that six-hour and 27-minute game that our next guest, John Baker, won as the first position player in the history of the franchise to get a win that night. Uh, Good morning, John. Thanks for your time. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm laughing. Hey, listen, listen to Lennon JD's making me laugh as I as I look at this field. It's fun to it's fun to reflect back on that day. We had a good time. Yeah, and and they had a good time. And that's like, and how can you not it as you're in the midst of your sixth or seventh hour? But JD's like, oh man, you walk the pitcher to lead off the inning. You can't do that. That's that's you. He's talking about all yeah, of a sudden. Well, I broke my bat in the middle of that at bat too to make things even weirder. Uh, and I didn't know it was broken, so I don't think I, if even I would hit the ball hard, it would have gone anywhere. I had a I had a cracked bat, and and I thought the same thing actually that JD said as I was jogging to first base I thought man you can't walk the pitcher to lead off the inning that's unacceptable well you had you had some walks in your career as I look at the stats here uh, 127 career walks for John Baker in uh, in seven years and that one counted just as much as any of them I, I, I suppose John and I the first time I ever spoke to you on the score was the morning after that game um, <laughs> and I don't I don't know how much sleep you had had after the late game but I asked you, the first question I asked you then, I want to ask you again, would you please describe uh, your stuff? I'd like to know about your arsenal, how many different pitches you throw and, and, and what speeds and such. Well, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, I, I, I got some advice from Lester Strode in the bullpen, which is now gone down the left field line, uh, to put my thumb on the side of the ball. And that gave me kind of a uh, nasty batting practice uh, kind of garbage fastball that just ran so I kind of aimed up and in towards everybody's hands primarily because I didn't want to get hit in the face with a line drive uh, I think one of the things that stands out to you when you go out on that mound um, and I'd been on the other end so many other times 
But I got out on the mound. I went, oh, my God, these guys are so close. I'm going to get killed. Wow. That, was my, that was my very first thought. So I said, I'm going to throw up and in with everything, and I'm just going to throw terrible batting practice. And that was, the, uh, that, was my, that was my game. I think as I'm looking down here, I see all these people coming out, and they're, they're taking pictures of the field. You know, you can get some, some people can leave BP passes for, for Cubs games. And if you come and watch Major League batting practice, what you're going to see is it's not like guys bat 1,000 in BP. Guys go out there and hit like 400 in batting practice. I mean, they make outs and ground out and pop up and get mad and throw their bat. Hitting's hard. So if, and I've seen guys complain about BP throwers. So I got out there on the mound through the, the worst batting practice possible. And just so I could add myself into the, knuckle, the knuckleball Hall of Fame, I threw a knuckleball in the game too. Um, and you had just learned it, right? Didn't Lester like just teach that to you? Or was, me, or was he, the sinker he taught he, to you? He taught me the sinker. And so my, th- my sinker was nasty. I think when they look back, <laughs> maybe Brooks Baseball or something's got some, the, the, the horizontal movement was like pretty significant. I think it was in the, t- in the top five in Major League Baseball. So just another, another accolade to add to, oh. my, uh, <laughs> to, my, to my pitching career. So many, so, so many accolades. Um, you know, it's funny because obviously that's a fun memory. But I wonder if you learned anything of consequence from that experience because, you know, now in your role as a mental skills coordinator and as somebody who has, has tried to take all the stuff you learned from, uh, you know, your career, and, and we'll talk about it, there's a lot of different facets and, and components that have probably helped inform your current job. But did you take anything of consequence from that experience? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that um, organizationally, we celebrated after that. And we had, that was a year that we hadn't celebrated very much um, up to that point. And we got a lot better, you know, as Javi came up and kind of Riz became a superstar. And, and we realized that Arietta was what Arietta was and Strope and Rondon emerged. Um, we hadn't done a lot of celebrating. We'd done a lot of losing. There'd been a lot of tough games. Um, you know, there was a massive roster, roster turnover the next couple of years, but the core people stayed around and stayed within the organization. Uh, and I think that that night after that game, you know, we joked in the dugout, if, if, if we win this game, we're not going to do any, like, on-field celebration. We're just running right to the locker room because it's so late. But once we got into that locker room, we celebrated like, uh, like we won the World Series. In the old locker room at Wrigley, uh, I got carried through the locker room. They threw me into the shower. Everybody dumped all the stuff on my head. Um, <laughs> and kind of that, that, that moment of celebration, I think, for me personally and the guys around there, we, we kind of... It kind of changed something in everyone. Uh, we realized that this is what we wanted to do more often m- moving forward, and we weren't just the lovable loser group. And there was some language, I think, that kind of died around that time in the locker room. You know, you'd heard some of the guys that had been here in the past had referenced that lovable loser thing. They, they'd said stuff like, oh, well, this is the schlubbies. Some, something will go bad uh, eventually. You know, they kind of bought into the narrative that the city had built over time. You think about, uh, I think, Mr. Wrigley saying, you know, build a pretty place and serve beer and people will show up. Mm. Um, you know, when, when the Ricketts family brought Theo in uh, and decided to really make an effort at turning this thing around, uh, there, there's key moments like that night where it starts to happen and, and you see what happened, the record after that game moving forward, how the team played uh, and, and the superstars that we were lucky enough to draft and build. I mean, I remember taking batting practice that year with Kyle Schwarber uh, after he got drafted and he hit BP after the first round and Kerry Muscat asked me what I thought and I said, uh, it looks like he should be hitting third in our lineup, not uh, wherever he's going to Eugene or something to play, <laughs> to play, to play minor league baseball. You know, he's better than we are right now. Uh, and then KB in spring training that year. Um, so, yeah, I think learning mental skills-wise, uh, I, I learned, I think, you know, you learn a lot of, uh, you get a graduate education in the obvious, uh, and that's hmm. 
it's better to win, but it's hard to win in baseball. And so if you celebrate it every single time, like it, like it is the, the actual achievement that it is, it makes baseball even more fun to play. Well, it's interesting. It, it, it's very interesting because that was the year that, as you say, guys started to figure out. And then the very next year, Madden comes here, John Lester comes here, and immediately it's, it feels like the bonus year, as we discussed it then, of, of like, hey, this would be fun if they're any good now. We didn't expect it quite so soon, but it sounds like, you guys started to feel it. Even there uh, under Ricky Renteria, the club did finish just over 500, all told, um, after that day. You know, and there was you, you guys. You guys did play pretty darn well uh, for Ricky down down the stretch there. And it's like the games keep happening. You have no choice but to try and learn something and try to find uh, a, a good mindset um, from it, even if there's been failure, because you have no choice but to show up the next day. That, that's instructive in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah, and there's just so much failure in baseball. There's so much failure in baseball. I mean, more than any other sport, offensively especially. You know, the old cliche is that three out of ten for ten years is like a borderline Hall of Fame career. Yeah. And there's no other business in the world where a 30% success rate is, is successful. Um, and it's because you fail so much, we, we, our emotions get flattened. You know, we get, we get, we, we say, oh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta stay even kill. You gotta stay level, but you're playing a game that, that you learned when you were five. So good luck disengaging from how you emotionally feel. I mean, we have guys that have played on our team now for 10 years that struggle every day with losses. I mean, I tell you right now, like Wilson Contreras, he does not like to lose anything ever. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, he's still frustrated no matter how well we're playing if we lose. But at, at the, to, to flip the coin on that, you know, this is a team now to this, to this day, we have a celebration room that, where music plays and, and the team huddles up together and puts their arms around each other every single time we win the game. And I get to witness it every time I'm here. Uh, and I really, I really respect and appreciate it because of all of that failure that these guys have to deal with and all that pressure that, that they put on themselves generally, you know, because this is such a supportive uh, environment here. Um, you know, you come outside and I walked around the concourse a little bit yesterday. Uh, and sat out in the in the stands a couple times during the game, um, and you just hear like the enthusiasm uh, and and the joy that that this team brings to fans of Chicago. Um, but at the same time, again, that there's also the pressure that's now put on them. People show up here every single day to see these guys play, and when they don't play well, it's really hard. So when they do play well, and we do score seven in the first and and, and win a game like we do yesterday, um, I hope that there's a part of that celebration from uh, July 29, 2014, that still lives on in that locker room. He's John Baker, former Cubs catcher and mental skills coordinator. He's sitting in the radio booth. They're high atop Wrigley Field, and you had mentioned the view, and I, I saw you tweet the picture, and it's quite something to, to, to watch games with regularity from there. It's when I hear Pat Hughes like predict things and, and, and Ron Coomer see things coming. It's because they've watched game after game after game from up there. But it's different for you. You're usually feeling it from down there in the midst. Um, where are you during games these days in your role? I'm usually in the locker room. So I get a lot of watch get to watch watch a lot of games on TV and talk to people as they come in. Um, I've started though to realize that I cannot be buried in a cave any longer. Uh, you know, we have this spaceship that they built underground. The Ricketts family built us this beautiful spaceship. I'm pretty sure it could like disengage from Wrigley and take off that locker room. Hmm. Uh, it's an amazing uh, thing down there. Uh, but I, I like to get. I'm, I've been trying to get out of the fluorescent lighting recently <laughs> and just be outside and see the sunshine and and kind of feel the energy of the crowd. But yeah, no, um, Bob and I, my partner Bob Tewksbury, um, we are usually inside uh, just in case we have to deal with something. You know, we've had some had some trying moments in the past. I, I mean, you know, it, I think the toughest one this year for me personally was being there for uh, being in Houston uh, when that poor kid got hit by the ball with a line drive, oh. uh, and, and seeing the effect that that has on the players um, is. 
And I think that's something that doesn't necessarily come through in the interviews and stuff that you see afterwards. So we've got to make sure that we're kind of always in place just in case. Uh, and, and fortunately for us, we haven't had a lot of times where we've actually had to be there. Um, I hope Theo's not listening to this so he doesn't fire me for saying I didn't have to be there. But, um, we, you know, we, 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 can, we can do it from uh, other places. Understood. So, yeah, usually inside, sometimes in the batting cage. Sometimes I have to throw BP. You know, I've, I've done that before, too, uh, when... You know, all the hitting coaches are out on the bench and, and Javi or KB or somebody comes in and they need a couple swings. Well, fortunately, I, uh, you know, was a, I was a great pitcher at one point in my career. <laughs> right, so you can, you can use those skills and bring them to help. Um, John, it, 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 as long, we got there. So you mentioned Bob Tewksbury, who's your partner. Would you just explain the structure of it to me? Because I know Josh Lifrak, I, I believe, is the man in charge of the mental skills program. I know about Darnell McDonald, and I think he was there before you um, and obviously before Tukes, but how many people are in the department these days? Seven, something like that? So we have Josh Lifrak as the director, kind of more the front office arm of what we do. Um, Bob and I are, are with our major league team, 159 out of 162 games. Uh, and then we also have uh, Ray Fuentes, who's a Latin American mental skills coordinator, David De Silva um, as well. And they kind of work the low minor leagues and occasional major league trips. But um, Bob and I, Bob is, I would say, well, I look at Bob as my kind of senior partner and mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Ken Revisa last year and the year before as somebody to mentor me. You know, yeah, Absolutely. legend, father of sports psychology. I got to see his family was here actually yesterday. So spent a few in them, which was tough. You know, it's been about a year since Kenny passed away. Uh, July 9th of, of, of 2008, in 2018, Kenny passed away, which is a big loss for all of us, and especially me personally, and I know Joe as well. Uh, but Bob and I are pretty much the most hands-on people in the big leagues. Um, I don't go to the minor leagues anymore, and, and neither does Bob. We are we are full-time committed to this team. Um, and just 4th of July and the two games against the White Sox uh, are the only games that we weren't, uh, one of us wasn't in attendance, and we'll be, we'll be at every game. Um, one of us will be at every game uh, through the end of the year and through the playoffs and through the World Series and hopefully at the parade as well. And then is, is Darnell still a part of things? Or? So Darnell is no longer a part of things. Darnell, uh, Darnell kind of left and was doing some coaching last year uh, down in Arizona, wanted to get back to his roots, and now he, has, uh, he left the organization this year in spring training. Okay, cool. Um, thanks, thanks for the info. Yeah. So, so my perception is that the Cubs have been uh, either ahead of the curve or right there at the beginning of the curve with this particular uh, approach to helping players. And at this point, the the program is, I mean, I talked with a couple of people from a couple of organizations. This is this is a bigger mental skills program and department than many teams have. Is that is that true to your knowledge? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that when you when you get to the playoffs this year um, and you look at all the teams that have been in the playoffs recently, you'll find that generally all of them have some sort of mental skills element, if not as big of a department as us. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Cleveland, uh, you know, Blas Gutierrez with the Boston Red Sox. He was there. Uh, full time with them last year. He just finished his PhD actually on the. Uh, he just finished his PhD in in sports psychology, hmm. um, and it's an important arm. You know, I, I think that, and this doesn't necessarily just apply to baseball, but we live in a time where there's a rising tide of stress and anxiety. Uh, a lot of it, in my opinion, is due to our kind of reliance on technology. We live in this shifting technological landscape with with iPhones, and they've never been more addictive. Um, and and there's a there's a correlation to the amount of time you spend on a device and how kind of bad you feel. Um, and so it's important to have people around, especially people that have played, in my opinion, the game, to be able to translate what the what the what the psychologists say into baseball speak and to help get things into the schedule um, and help get things into the locker room that are good ideas and healthy ideas for people so that uh, they can kind of thrive in this environment. I mean, it's and anybody that looks at the American Psychological Association data is going to be freaked out. You know, you find out how stressed 
stressed out people really are. The prediction is by 2030, half of the U.S. population is going to be at I can't deal levels of stress about their job, especially. And as we kind of referenced earlier with the with the crowd and the expectations um, and the pressure of professional sports, uh, it just exacerbates the things that are already happening to the to the general public. So yeah. um, having people around uh, that can kind of provide some equanimity, uh, a voice of reason. Um, and, and can authentically care about the people. You know, I think that's another part of our, of our department that's different is like, I, I want the guys obviously to do well. And I, I just hope that they know that I don't care if they do well. I care that they're, that they're, that they feel good. I care that they're all right. You know, like I, I need, I need to learn in my job, you know, or anybody that does my role, they need to learn to see Chris Bryant, not as KB, but as Chris. Mm-hmm. You know, as as the guy from Ve- as the kid from Vegas that likes Jordans, you know, like that's that's what that's the that's the most important thing. Part of our role for us is to is to really establish those connections and relationships with the players so that when we bring in some sort of evidence based practice, um, we give them the opportunity to believe in it and do it. And we know it'll help them. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by Northwestern Football. Join Coach Fitz and the 17th-ranked Cats this fall at Ryan Field. Matchups include Ohio State, Michigan State, and Iowa. Season and single-game tickets on sale now at nusports.com. You're listening to Hit and Run on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel. Joe Buck is on the show at the top of the hour, but right now in the midst of a conversation with John Baker, mental skills coordinator um, for the Cubs. So, yeah, you know, you mentioned KB, and his story is so is so beautifully streamlined, and there was that point in his career where you look and you're like, oh, wow, college player of the year, minor league player of the year, rookie of the year, MVP. Those are four pretty good consecutive years. Uh, Good luck following that at age 23 or 24, wherever he was. And then he's been very open this year in saying, uh, one of the quotes that I've I've paraphrased that he said um, was on MLB.com, was, um, you know, you think you play this game a long time and it's going to get easier. And that's not the way it feels. It's funny that way. Like, it, it, it's more mentally challenging the more you play. Even for a guy who grew up so well coached by his dad in such a, such a great family atmosphere, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, this game can mess with the strongest of us, can it? Oh, absolutely. And I think, too, you know, when you, when you put up numbers like that, what you're doing is you're creating, you're creating these massive expectations. You know, you feel like you now have to live up to yourself as opposed to just establish your name you know and, and and that's the hardest thing for people to do and they and they still continue to go through it all the time they still want to live up to what they've done but now you have younger players coming up and guys are throwing harder and pitching has never been better um i think everyone's fortunate that uh, all the offensive players right now are fortunate they, that they're hitting the uh like the slazenger long drive balls in the game this year that's <laughs> i think that's fun for everybody to watch um but yeah, pitching has never been better, and it's it's so hard to hit. And the more information that they have on you, uh, and you think about all the stuff that, that teams do now with these different cameras to change grips, and 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 the data and analytics that they have to figure out exactly what to do in the right situation and how to execute it, um, man. Baseball just keeps improving. It keeps getting better. Defense gets gets better. We're, they're putting the guys in the right place to catch the ball where you hit it most frequently all the time now. Um, it's harder and harder to do, and it never does get easier. And I think if it did get easier, it would lose its appeal. I think that's the other side of that coin as well. You know, As frustrating and difficult as those things are, I always looked at hitting as like an addiction. You know, you could hit a ground, I could hit a ground ball, hmm. not even do it right, 
right? Like hit it off the end of the bat and it's bouncing in between the first and second baseman and it like hits a rock and kicks up and then you know that you're going to get that check mark of a base hit next to your name and all of a sudden you're like 60 pounds lighter. You can't contain the smile. You didn't even do what you were trying to do. You didn't even do it right, right? But you get rewarded for it and it's like that dopamine high that happens and that's what pushes you right back in the batting cage the next day to do it again. You know, like when we get angry as people, what do, what do we do a lot of times? We smash and hit things with stuff. You know, you get yeah. pissed off and you punch the wall, right? It feels good to do that. Now make that the hardest skill in the world to do. Put, put you in front of 50,000 people at a field and a, and a couple million on television in something like the World Series. And go do that and tell me that it doesn't feel good and you're not going to have to come down after that and figure out, you know, what, what's going on uh, when you get back into the dugout. And, and then go out and do it again and repeat that for 15 years. It's a lot of kind of... Uh, little mini stress cycles over and over again. And, and it's hard to live up to those expectations. You know, when you're Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo or Javi Baez, it's hard to walk around out here, you know, without being, without being swarmed and swamped. And it's hard not to feel bad, I think even worse than a player like me who, you know, I'll be honest, by the end of my career, I expected to ground out to second about half the time. So uh, those guys expect to get a hit or hit a home run all the time, mm. you know, all the time. That's, that's the expect- expectations they have on themselves. That's why they're great. Uh, and, and it's also why it's even tougher for them to sustain those things over a long period of time. And when you get to guys like Ryan Sandberg and, uh, uh, you know, he joked one time, it was in our, one of our meetings in mental skills and he goes, he co- Rhino tells the players, Hey man, I really wish I would have had something like this when I was playing. Cause I was a mess. And I, we laughed and I said, but I think you did all right in your career. Yeah. You did pretty good without any stuff like this. Um, but I think it's just a testament to what exactly what you're talking about is that baseball is really hard and it's really hard to be great for a long period of time. But it's so appetizing. The nature of it is so appetizing because there's always so much to learn. It's why some of the the smartest, most educated um, people in our society have now gravitated to front offices. And, and they continue to toil away year after year after year trying to figure stuff out. And people try to figure out, how do I keep pitchers healthy? Oh, we have no idea. That's, it, it, like, it, this is the kind of stuff that fascinates me, John, is like when the smartest people in the game, the best people in the game, just cannot figure something out for the life of them. It's, uh, it, it's, it's amazing stuff. I, I, I wanna, there's a million directions we can go. Um, we need to take a break, and we'll come back and continue the conversation. I'd, I'd love to find out just about some of the some of the basics of the methodology or the sessions you guys use. You don't have to be pretty specific about players, but like, just I, I wonder if you can share with people some of that stuff. And we'll tell people about John Baker Day, which is coming up in next Sunday, the twenty first, and that is going to be an absolute blast at three p.m. at the Nissan Lounge. We'll give you more details on that and more conversation with John Baker when we come back on. Hit and run on 670 The Score. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Reading is a skill that some of us need to work on more. Uh, John Baker Day this year is Saturday the 3rd of August from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. That is at the G-Man Tavern. God, I love Joe Shanahan, who is the man behind the Metro and the G-Man Tavern. Morning, Joe, if you're listening, 3740 North Clark Street. And that will be a musical Cubs game watch with a few different Cubs podcasts there. Uh, and, and then John will be part of a post-game Q&A. It is all for a worthy cause. It would be raising money for the Chicago Metropolitan Battered Women's Network. And johnbakerday.com is the website where you can find tickets. And you can get there and, and, and learn a whole lot more. John, um, wh- why this particular cause? How did this cause find its way to you or vice versa? 
Well, I think uh, 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 Danny Rocket, uh, who runs a show now on uh, NBC CSN, or and I don't even know what the, the initials are, but it's after the game. Yeah. Um, after the, after the post-game show, Danny runs a show of bloggers. It was his idea. Uh, and I think, too, you know, what we dealt with this year, um, it's, it's a tough subject to broach. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're solutionists, I feel like. And so in, in trying to come up with a solution, I thought, you know, we do this thing every year. We give all the, we give all the money to charity. In the past, we've done uh, Cubs family. Last year, we did a Cubs family that was uh, affected in a car accident after a game. The whole family was in the hospital. So we, we went to the Nisei Lounge where it used to be and, uh, and, and did that Q&A and, and sold some, uh, some memorabilia and then just gave all the money to those people. And so we figured, you know, like... Uh, I have a small, how can I leverage the, the tiny celebrity that I have in the city? Uh, well, let's do it for something like that uh, after what we've dealt with last year and mm-hmm. this year. And, and, um, and a lot know. of difficult conversations that have been <laughs> happening with media and within the ball club and the entire organization, right? Yeah, it's just like, these are things where it's like, how, how the heck are you even supposed to like, figure out how to talk about that kind of stuff? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, been, it's been, I'm really, really proud of the organization, how we've handled it. I know we've, we've, we've dealt with some flack. Um, and and as we should, as we all should, uh, you know. But I but think that they can having, handle it, though. I mean, yeah. that, that's the thing about that, about Theo when he has extended himself to discuss it and put himself out there. He knows he's gonna gonna feel flack, but he also knows, as you know, as I know from from conversations, he feels to his core that a zero tolerance policy doesn't do anything. Like it, you don't accomplish anything. So if you are in a position to actually give someone a legit second chance and some guidance and try to fix or at least help their family situation, and you are a publicly available corporation and people can watch you do it, this is, this is how you change the conversation or at least affect it a little bit. Yeah, and, and from all the research that I've done um, and all the people that I've talked to over the last year, uh, different places throughout the United States, um, what I've found is that, like, this is the only way it works. This is the only way it works. The, the, the idea of, 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 of zero tolerance um, leads to repeat offenses for people. And like that, like how could, we, how could we put our name behind something like that when we have all of these resources and all of these people to try to, to, try to do whatever we can to make the situation better, to make sure that nothing like that ever happens again? Um, that's, the, that's the goal. Again, like I said, we try to be here solutionists. We try not to pass our problems off to other people. Uh, this is a this is a, a family owned um, organization at this point, and and I think internally we feel like a family as well, and so we just want to do better and be better, and so that was uh, kind of the you know Theo inspired underlying motivation for for how we were going to give the money away at uh, John Baker Day this year. Understandable. Uh, JohnBakerDay.com dot com is uh, the website, and I will tweet it out in a matter of moments uh, from Matt Spiegel six seventy on Twitter. John is on Twitter at ManBearWolf. Uh, on Twitter as well. That's another conversation that we've actually had before, so I'll just let that one lie. Um, <laughs> wondering, what is some of the stuff that you guys use? Because whenever I think about what the mental skills program might be doing for certain players, I keep taking it mentally to my own therapy. You know, I assume and I infer uh, therapeutic methods, classic one. I assume that's too simplistic to think about. Actually, you know, 
Sim- simplicity, I mean, to, to, to quote Joe, you know, it is about doing simple better. You, you know, I think that some of the misconceptions about sports psychology in the past, and now that we have about 40 years of research on the subject, we're starting to realize that a lot of the things that we were taught, even when I was playing, um, were backward, you know? Uh, like, you are going to have negative thoughts when you're playing any sport or when you're trying to do any sort of performance. You're going to have negative thoughts. And so I, I think our first kind of general message is one of just awareness and acceptance that, like, yes, these are the things that you're going to think, yes, these things are normal. Now let's, let's come up with strategies to prepare for them for the individual player so he can learn how to get back to task because that's the most important thing. So mm-hmm. we're talking about attention. Peter Habrell is the, uh, uh, the U.S. Olympic um, sports psychologist out of Colorado Springs. Um, I think he's probably one of the best ones out there. Uh, and, and he talks about attention being the currency of performance. What you're paying attention to, what you're focusing on, is what's going to help you concentrate and focus and perform. So... Uh, that being said, we understand that we're, we are, we're all negative people. You know, we all, are, we all have self-defeating thoughts. Uh, and when you understand the odds of baseball, it makes it even worse. You know, it exacerbates those thoughts because you realize that, man, this is all failure generally, especially offensively. Um, this is all failure. Those thoughts are going to pop up. They are going to come into your head. They're going to be there. It's just what you attach yourself to. So that makes and, all the sense in the world. You add the level of self-awareness of the thoughts and then say, okay, but I don't have to listen to that voice that's inside me because um, it, it's, it, it's, it's proven to be counterproductive more often than not. So, 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 so if you're having, you have those kind of conversations with guys, um, is meditation under your auspices or visualization, so, things yeah, like that? Absolutely. So those are, so those are, so meditation is what I'm trained in. Um, personally, mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready, got into graduate school actually recently. So I'm getting ready to do a, to hopefully do a master's in performance psychology coming up. And, but Bob, the other arm of our program is a, you know, is a, is a sports psychologist, certified mental performance coach. Um, but yeah, you, you hit, you hit the nail on the head. Um, this is an evidence-based, uh, organization and, and those are the only real things that have a lot of evidence behind them, you know? So a focused attention practice, um, learning how to modulate your attention going, I'm going to focus on one thing, squirrel, 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 squirrel. That's what happens to all of us. That's what we are. We have our phones. We have nine second attention spans. We forget things right away immediately all the time. Um, and so practicing 10, 15 minutes a day, and this is something that we offer uh, for them. Again, these are some of the best players, most focused uh, individuals, competitors in the world. So um, it's not about me walking in and telling them that this is something that they need to do. What our department generally does is we provide them with a menu of things that they can now take away, and we give them easy access to it mm-hmm. uh, and, and let them develop their own things. I mean, I learn as much from them as I do from books, for sure, uh, because, you know, like you could say something like, oh, hey, you have to learn how to be in the moment. Like, just watch Javi Baez play. Um, there's no way Javi thinks twice about anything. Huh. You know, it's why he's so dangerous, 0-2 or with two strikes. Um, it's why he makes the plays that he does on the field, because more than anyone I think I've ever seen in baseball, th- this guy is fully present uh, on the field. Like, there's only one pitch ever for Javi, and he's there for it every single time. And yes, that means sometimes that he swings at a ball that bounces two feet in front of home plate, but it also means... That, that late in a game, someone hangs a slider row two and he hits one halfway up the bleachers. So it's not about telling Javi to be in the moment. It's about offering these things and making sure that these ideas uh, are, are in the forefront of what people know about with our guys mm-hmm. and then giving them access to those two practices like you're talking about. I think the second one being uh, visualization. That's the, other, that's the most researched one in sports psychology. It's something that we all do naturally as children. You know, I think... Um, any kid that grew up in Chicago that liked baseball on the north side 
stood at a park and, and visualized himself as Ron Santo or Ernie Banks or Billy Williams or Ryan Sandberg or Derek Lee, right? Like you, you, we, we were those people at one point in our life when we were kids. We were seeing it from their eyes. We were seeing our feet on the ground at Wrigley Field. We were looking out and seeing the ivy, uh, seeing, the, seeing the iconic scoreboard, seeing the rooftops. Um, Go ahead and, and stay in touch with that, right? Yeah, that's, that's, and that's the practice. That's, that is the practice. Is, you, know, you, you talk about stuff like mirror neurons or something. Where you know you do a couple reps like that in your head, that's like doing it physically with no physical cost. So you know, those, John, are, the, the, those for, are the only two, really. Oh, so that, that's interesting. So really, those those are, so I hit on them. So meditation and visualization, it, it makes all the sense in the world. I remember the first time I heard about anything like this was with John Smoltz in like 1987, the World Series, and he had found a sports psychologist, and they would visualize, and that was like, what is this? What is going on? And then that's the first time I heard about any of this um, with baseball. But it, I, it, I wanted to ask you about a couple sort of person types. I guess I'll ask it this way. I, I have to assume that Jason Hayward's mental health is just absolutely remarkable to have continued to be the all-around player that he has been over the past four years with the offensive struggles, to be the, the strong guy who can call that meeting famously in the World Series, um, to, to deal with the media every day, and to hear four years in now, or, th- or three years or whatever it is, now to be having the best offensive year of his career, and the offense has never dipped. The base running has never dipped. I'm incredibly impressed by him. Yeah, he's somebody that blows me away. I think he's a case study in himself. Um, It just... Everything that he's done, uh, the way he goes about approaching it, I mean, he's the, to be as cliche as possible, he's the consummate professional. I mean, he's a guy that I think... um, uh, I, I respected when he played on the Braves and, and playing against him and when he was on the Cardinals. But then seeing the seeing what he's gone through here um, and, and seeing how it hasn't affected, like, his preparation, his work, uh, it's, everything is always an A-plus with him, his attitude. Um, there is no – he doesn't – I mean, wh- he might feel sorry for himself, but he doesn't let that, he doesn't let that go towards anybody else. And he's, he's willing to take a back seat in certain situations so that the team can win. Um, yeah, I think just he's. I think he's a throwback, um, and and to me, yeah, you you hit it on the head. Like mental strength wise, to, in in my opinion, he's an icon. So so can other players learn from him as they just see it, or do you point out things like that when you when you see strengths in certain players? Does that does that have a way of getting around a clubhouse? Hopefully, uh, they absolutely they absolutely see it. They absolutely see it. It's not something that that's in my place to point out. I think to anybody, and and I try to try I try to not in fact not to do things like that because they I you know I'll maybe give him a high five when he does something uh, valuable that doesn't get seen necessarily in the middle of the game. That's not hitting a home run or doing something, but like mm-hmm. just thinking about uh, going back to yesterday's game, uh, the, the sun ball that he caught, you know, like yeah. I, I watch that play happen and I go, man, I wonder how many people in the world catch that ball. I wonder how many people in the world catch that ball. And then from the back, throw a two hop throw, like pretty close to second base to keep the guy from tagging. Yeah. It just, he, he constantly blows you away. He makes things look so easy um, he catches balls in the outfield that other people are diving for that he makes look, look like routine plays, and he doesn't run around and ask for, uh, for, for praise for any of it, you know? Um, yeah. It's, yeah, you hit it on the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he definitely rubs off on everybody else, his professionalism, um, his approach to baseball, his hustle. Uh, all the things that you ask a, a young player to do to do right and to do better, yeah. um, Jason lives it as an example all the time. And 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 the the other guy that I'm thinking about that I'm impressed by in a different way, and it's been fascinating, is you, Darvish, because of the openness with which he talks about stuff, talks about 
you know, the failure in the World Series, how difficult it was to go back to L.A., how much he is driven by trying to be good at Wrigley, um, how much he has doubted the arm, even when it wasn't hurt this year. His mind was thinking that it was hurting and it was affecting his fastball. It's fascinating how much he is willing to share uh, this year especially and and he was phenomenal two days ago. And, and you know, people call him fragile sometimes in the, on this radio station. I always try to correct it gently to sensitive. He's just a sensitive guy, and it's okay. You know, it's all right to talk about that and be open about that, so you can deal with stuff. Listen, this guy's a stud, um, a physical stud. He gets after it again. Another guy that gets after it. And generally, our our entire group of people now has has really like made this commitment to. To, to be better all the time, and it's been it's been great to watch. And yes, I think you's finally getting a little bit more comfortable um, here. You know, last year was tough. Like uh, uh, when people come into this city as free agents, um, it's really hard. Um, there's a lot of expectations, and there's a lot of pressure that they put on themselves. I think maybe even more than some other people. So uh, to then, like just the regular guy that comes up from the minor leagues that that's built through the system that has like the expectation of being here in that way. Um, it's really hard. Like go back and look at John Lester's year in 2015. Uh, Rossi's year in 2015, guys struggled here a little bit uh, more than usual. And then you obviously being hurt last year was really tough on him. He was really frustrated. Uh, and I think he's finally kind of uh, comfortable in the pinstripes um, and, and wants to be out on the field and, and back to that kind of aggressive superstar pitcher that uh, was so great in Japan and so great in Texas uh, and was good in L.A. until that one start in the World Series. I mean, this guy is a frontline ace pitcher in, in, in many different, uh, all over the world and in a lot of different teams in this league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to see that kind of rebound, it's just, it's, it's been really exciting to see. He's come into his own, you know, he's, he's, he's just opened up to his teammates and, and, and we, we've gotten to see his personality this year. So I've, I've been, you know, I know he hasn't had a decision in a long time and I know he wants to, he wants to win a game and he's out there, looks like he's trying to prove something. And I think that's a great place to be for players, you know, when they're not thinking about what they should be, but they're trying to show you what they can do those are those are really dangerous guys especially pitchers and it, it's been great to see uh that fastball come back man like when 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 you look out i remember in the miami game was the first time i think i saw it he hit brinson with like 99 and and when you see stuff like that that's a flash of things that are coming i mean he's made it through the first half this year and i'm really looking forward to watching him pitch this second half john i i love talking to you one of my favorite guys to talk with on, on many levels and i really appreciate this and and um john baker day on august 3rd is an opportunity to go and hang out uh during the game um with uh with Danny Rocket and with folks from Bleed Cubby Blue. And then afterwards, John will be there doing a Q&A after the game, and it's for a good cause as well. I'll tweet out the link at Bleed Cubby Blue and at johnbakerday.com. John, thanks so much for this. This was great. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You got it. I appreciate it. That is John Baker, Cubs mental skills coordinator and former catcher. It is hit and run on 670 The Score. We are late to take a break, but we will do so. When we come back, Joe Buck. Fox play-by-play, longtime baseball human, joins us next on Hit and Run. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 